0: This is Michelle McKenzie, and welcome to the WTF Podcast, where we demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. The past run on supply chains, the present runs on supply chains, the future will run on supply chains. The world is a supply chain. This is the mantra of my guest, who was recently named by Flexport among the 55 supply chain and logistics experts you should know, and was nicknamed the Elon Musk of logistics technology on Twitter. My guest is Brian. Oh, hey, Brian, help me help me with the pronunciation of your name. It's, it's
1: pronounced O'Hay. Um, yeah. O'Hay. yeah.
0: Brian yeah. Away is the co founder and general partner of Refashion Ventures, an emerging fund manager that invests in early state supply and early state supply chain technology. He co founded the New York Supply Chain Meetup and the World wide supply chain federation he's an adjunct professor of supply chain and operations management at the tandon school of engineering at new york university and a vc in residence at the genius guild greenhouse fund and a venture partner at new york venture partners in this episode we'll discuss his experience working in family offices and venture capital investing all things supply chain technology and fundraising strategies brian Welcome to the WTA podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to
0: be here. I'm, I'm happy to have you. Before uh, I, I, should, I, should, I should
1: tell you before we jump into uh, our conversation. So, everyone that's meeting me for the first time struggles with my name. So, uh, I
0: shouldn't feel bad, right?
1: No, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't feel bad at all. Um, uh, uh, there was actually someone who was saying to my wife once, you know, wouldn't it be easier if you just changed your, your last name to vowels, in which case it would be Brian Vowels. <laughs> it would make everyone else's life
0: a lot easier. <laughs> if we all had last names that were just vowels.
1: Yeah, and, and I've actually thought, hmm, maybe there is an SEO strategy there. So when people are trying to remember What's his last name again? They can just type Brian vowels into Google. And...
0: <laughs> That's a strategy. Do you ever put a phonetic spelling when you write your bio? No, unless your people
1: unless, unless people ask. And the reason I don't do that is I've found that it works in my favor. Because, you you know, people are like, yeah... That's the guy with the name I couldn't pronounce, which is all vowels. And you know what? If that's if that's what makes me unforgettable, I'll, I'll take it.
0: <laughs> I try to be. It's, I try
1: to be unforgettable, and if that's the thing that's going to make me unforgettable, I'll take it.
0: <laughs> it's Brandon, right? Exactly. Brandon <laughs> One Hundred One. So before we get into all things supply chain. You spent about 10 years as an executive in family offices when you started refashioned tell me about your experience working in with family offices what are family offices for people who might not know
1: so a family office is a an organization that is created to uh, to preserve a family's wealth so once individuals families have made significant, amount of money um, they might decide you know what my affairs are so complicated that I actually need an entire team an entire organization to um, help me to help okay. me manage my, my wealth uh, they come in different flavors you can have single family offices multi-family offices um, uh, you can have uh, embedded family offices which is you know the family runs a business but then within that business they have a, a family office as part of it. Um, Different sizes, some really, really large, uh, multi-billion, hundreds of billions, some relatively small. Um, And all different types of flavors in terms of investment appetite and so on and and so forth. The thing that is most important to remember about a family office is that it is established with the uh, express goal of preserving wealth. Right, so you've built wealth, multi generational wealth. You want your descendants to benefit from that wealth, and that is the purpose of a family. That's the purpose of a family office.
0: So, if there's an investor who's looking to approach family offices, uh, what approach should they take with family offices? Is you there any that? difference between that and, say, approaching a VC?
1: Yeah. So the interesting thing about so 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 what so what you meant was if an entrepreneur or a correct starter. yeah yes. yeah yeah. So the interesting thing, excuse me, the interesting thing about family offices is, and you know, this will make sense uh, uh, probably, is that they are very secretive, and maybe not secretive. Maybe I shouldn't say secretive. Yes, they're very discreet most of the time. They shy away from the limelight and so on and so forth. And so, you know, finding them, connecting with them, engaging with them can be extremely difficult. Often there are gatekeepers who ensure that unwanted, you know. characters (laughs) Characters <laughs> do not have access to to the um, the executives and principals of the family office. Um, that being said, just by their nature, they can be really nimble and flexible when uh, when you know the temperament of the principals of the family office allows it. Um, and so. I think they're worth they're worth talking to. you know if a startup founder has access to family offices, I definitely think they're worth talking to, but it's important to understand how they differ from v c s right so you won't find many family offices doing the sort of publicity seeking that v c s that v c s engage in on on social
0: media mm-hmm. so if I'm an entrepreneur, how do I know where to find a gatekeeper to let me through the gate?
1: Oof. How, oof. That's. That's a tough. That's a tough question.
0: Because sometimes
1: you wouldn't even know that the gatekeeper is a gatekeeper, right? Because that's
0: precisely what I'm
1: trying to connect. Because discretion, because discretion is the key. You would not only do you not know that a family office exists. You might not even know that there's a gatekeeper. So, so how
0: right. do I know? How do talk, I connect?
1: The, the only thing you can do is you know talk to as many people as you can which as as a startup founder right is something that you should be doing so talk to as many people as you can because some of the gatekeepers uh might be at first glance might seem unlikely um and so uh, the, there are events like the family office conferences and whatnot you obviously should you you should go to those although i think depending on who you talk to, you'll hear different opinions about how useful that is as an exercise. Um, You you know, one school of thought is, yes, of course, you should go to those. Um, But a lot of the time, they're expensive to register for and attend. And, you know, they're held in places that, like, they're not doing like they are, the, the biggest family office conferences are not in the middle of like Times Square or somewhere in Brooklyn, right? They're in like places where wealthy people would like to to, to go to and be seen. Um, so they're so in Davos. Right, right, right. So, so that's one problem. The other school of thought you might hear is, well, yeah, sure, if you want to attend, attend, but just know that you'll be there as entertainment. Right. It would be like, oh, look, this is this exotic creature from the wild, wild, untamed world of startups. And isn't that interesting? (laughs) But whether you but whether you will leave, whether you will actually leave with any meaningful investments.
0: (laughs) But Brian, this is making me feel as if, well, this is not an option that should be pursued if I were a startup entrepreneur.
1: I would, I would not make it the center. I would not make it the foundation of my fundraising strategy, right? Unless for some reason you have exceptional access to family offices, right? They know you, they trust you. Um, maybe in your previous job, you worked in those circles and so on and so forth. Uh, but otherwise I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it the... Center of my fundraising
0: strategy. So it's oh, really an club? I, I wouldn't
1: make it the only thing I do. It would be one of a number of different strategies and tactics.
0: Okay, so it's basically an insiders' club. If you know, yeah. you know. Yeah. And if you don't know, you don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Clear enough.
1: And maybe we'll get into this later. I don't want to. I don't want to completely make it seem as if.
0: It's completely inaccessible
1: yeah yeah and maybe we'll we'll get into this because you're probably thinking wait if this is the case brian how did you well maybe
0: get into it now since we're already talking about it
1: right so yeah, yeah
0: so how did you get in and did you find yourself in a gatekeeper role and did you open any gates
1: so that's a that's a great question. Uh, 2008 is when I started working in investing, and uh, uh, my investing career started at a family office. Interestingly, they found me. I did not I did not find them. I had been let go from Lehman in March of 2008. I Was doing what every unemployed person does, you know, you send a bunch of resumes, go to interviews wake up every morning very d- diligently and check your email. And one day I got, I got a note from a gentleman who said, Brian, I saw your profile online. I'm trying to fill a really interesting job and I think you'll be a perfect fit. Do you wanna talk? So, yeah, of course I want to talk. Let's see what this interesting job is. To cut a long story short, it wound up being a job at a family office. Uh, I would be the second employee employee before me you know let's describe her as the the family's CFO. So I would be the second employee and what they wanted the person who they who filled this position to do is to start figuring out what direct investing would look like for them. So direct investing means you're investing directly into a startup as opposed to investing in a fund that then invests on your behalf. Uh, and so that was that was the job. Um, to be honest, I didn't think I'd get the job because I didn't have any ex- uh, investing experience. I had just finished business school. I had just passed the level one of the CFA exam. And so I was progressing through the interview process, but I, I just like, you know, surely all these people being let go from Wall Street, they'll hire one of uh, but as um, fate would have it, at the end of the process, they called me and said, "Hey, Brian, we'd love it if you would come and do this." And I said, "When do I? When do I? When do I start?" <laughs> so that's how it happened. And so, if you have noticed that I am very active on social media. So so naturally, I like to learn in public. I like to consume information. I like research. I'm a news. Some people describe me as a news junkie. So that part of my personality has always been there. But getting that job in 2008 really helped me understand that this quality of my personality could be could be a strength in this new world that we live in.
0: That's interesting. Because I've been, it's a little bit of a sidebar from the conversation and I won't go too far into it, but I've been examining more my strengths and what you are just describing seems like what StrengthsFinder is called input, where Mm -hmm. people love to, they love research, they like to read, they like to gather information. And it seems like that's a strength and it's good that you recognize that strength and how that strength played out for you and sort of led to your Mm -hmm. success.
1: Well, very- it's, it's interesting you say that because I used to, I used to say research is my calling card, right? The, the thing I do well is consume information, especially information about unfamiliar, information related to unfamiliar problems, synthesize it, distill it, make sense of it, and then come back later and say, here is what I think we should do. That's, that's really where I think I shine.
0: That's great. I'm speaking with Brian Awe, venture capital investor and co-founder of Refashioned, a supply chain company that is refashioning global supply chains to make them fit for purpose in the global economy. Brian, I think now is a good point to pivot to supply chains. <laughs> <laughs> you eat, sleep, and breathe supply chains.
1: Yeah. yeah. So,
0: tell me about Refashion Ventures and the problem it is solving in the supply chain sector.
1: So, Refashion Ventures is a venture fund, a young venture fund. We're one year old this month, Um, uh, and uh, we invest in early stage supply chain technology startups that have the express goal of refashioning global uh, uh, supply chains. You know. sometimes i'm surprised that people are like wait so you invest in fashion I'm like well the other the other meaning of refashioned is that you are transforming you're remaking you're rethinking you're redesigning you're reengineering right you're 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 taking something that exists and you're refashioning it to enable it to do to to accomplish uh, uh, something different and so that's that's our goal. Um, we've made 17 investments to date, we'll probably be closing number 18, 19 and 20 somewhat soon. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's early days. We're one year old. We're still very small, but we have very, very big audacious.
0: I want you to tell me about those audacious ambitions, but I, re- I recall reading in an article you wrote, the title of the article is Towards a Partnership Model for Family Offices and Emerging Venture Firm Managers. And you wrote, and I paraphrase that at Refashion Ventures, we believe that supply chains are a complex global intersection of social, technological, economic, and environmental systems. If any of those systems or subsystems fail, Supply chains break down and fail too, as the COVID-19 pandemic has demonstrated all too clearly. Our investment thesis centers on early stage technology innovations that refashion global supply chains to make them fit for purpose in the face of a number of things, including climate crisis and increasingly demanding consumers all over the world. So why should we care about supply chain and supply chain tech? And has covid increased investments in supply chain tech?
1: I think it has, uh, and I'll come back to uh, COVID and supply chain technology later, I'll tell you a funny story. But the, so, so look around you, Michelle, take, take a look around you. If you can sense, if there's anything around you that you can sense in some way, smell, touch, feel, see, um, it got there because there's a supply chain. That underlies its production, right? So, so the world around us is built on a foundation of supply chains, right? Supply chains are simply the networks that connect production and consumption. Seems really easy. Once you start to get into it, you, you, the the headphones, the headphones that you're wearing, right? Producing them is incredibly complex. In fact, there, there's an there's an article, in an old art article that I think is called iPencil or something like that. And, you know, it's something as simple as a pencil. (laughs) And most people think, oh, it's a pencil. How complicated could it be to make a pencil? And the article walks through the complexity of the process of making a pencil. I think it's something like there are at least 66 discrete steps. And each one of those steps has its own sub steps. And so, so supply chains are incredibly complex. The fact that we take them for granted is a reflection of you know, my belief that you know, modern supply chains are a wonder of the one of the wonders of the world.
0: So, Brian, if you are an entrepreneur in supply chain tech, and particularly if you're an entrepreneur of color in supply chain tech. What should you know? What should you do when fundraising? Are there more opportunities for you now that supply chain is sort of more visible in the forefront? Supply chain has always been there. Like you said, everything we consume starts from somewhere. It didn't just magically appear inside of our homes. And for most of us, we only think about from the time we ordered the thing from Amazon or wherever Mm -hmm. and getting it to us. But It has a much longer journey that Mm -hmm. happens before that point. So if there's an entrepreneur who is in supply chain tech right now, what's the significance of what they're doing to address major issues within supply chains right now? And are they finding it easier to connect to funding? So
1: that's that's a great question. I think... The fact that they're building something in supply chain is an advantage, right? And, you know, obviously they'll need to do some work on messaging and communication and all that sort of stuff, making sure that they're communicating to investors and potential customers through the right channels. But those are problems that can be solved, right? Other people have solved them. Those can be solved. What is not so clear is, you know, especially if you're, if this this entrepreneur is a person of color, an an underrepresented minority, uh, an immigrant, certain parts of the world, uh, or a woman, right? It's not clear whether that is a great disadvantage or if it could be an advantage. I think the correct answer is that it could be both, right? Obviously, we know the biases that investors Exhibit towards underrepresented uh, entrepreneurs That's that's been well documented, and that there's no point beating a dead horse. But I was thinking about this the other day because uh, it's, it's a question we've had to uh, confront when we're talking to institutional LPs, right? I'm a black man. My partner, Lisa, is Latina. She's an Afro-Latina, uh, Puerto Rican, who grew up, was, was born, and raised in the Bronx. And so, you, you know, sometimes we've encountered LPs who are like, "Oh, so your strategy is a diversity strategy? Like, no, our strategy is a supply chain technology strategy. We're looking for any any founders uh, building uh, solving those problems. Um, and and we believe we will see more uh, black founders more women founders more like latinx founders supply chain.
0: if i get you right because they've worked in the parts of businesses in operations and logistics sort of the making the stuff part of companies operations they, and
1: supply chains and
0: supply chains then they get to see what the issues are so from that exposure can come great ideas for for solutions yes to supply chains
1: And then the other, I now remember the other question that you asked, wait, I shouldn't give myself, oh yeah, yeah. you asked the question about, obviously a global pandemic, Uh, no one is immune, I think every startup is going to have to adjust in some way.
0: It wasn't just supply chain startups it that was, were having yeah, difficulty. Well, if anything, it was an opportunity for supply chain startups to really solve a major problem.
1: exactly and I said but I expect that you know outside poor management and whatnot that's you know let's set that aside. If we set that aside, broadly speaking out expect supply chain technology startups to do really well. The reason is the fundamental goal of a supply chain technology startup is to enable their customer, bigger company, to do more with less, right? To accomplish more with with less, and what better uh, context than a global pandemic, in which you know the entire world is dealing with supply chain disruptions, than to really show what this what this technology can do. Because from
0: that. chaos can come opportunity.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah.
0: Before we wrap up, Brian, I want to go back to, to funding and fundraising a bit. And you had wrote in your article that the average emerging venture fund manager experiences great difficulty raising a first fund to pursue and execute a differentiated investment thesis and strategy. Now, you are at your first fund with Refashioned. What was your fundraising journey for Refashioned like? And did it help that you were already in the investment world?
1: You know, it's interesting. Um it's almost like the experience one goes through when one has been as a at a big company, you know, everyone returns your calls, everyone returns your emails, you feel very big and important, and then you leave the big company to strike out on your own and suddenly no one is <laughs> <suddenly> <laughs> suddenly no one people who would respond to you
0: immediately suddenly start ignoring you so <laughs> right? in that case, you're sort of in the shoes of a startup entrepreneur right exactly. it's quite similar
1: it's quite it's it's exactly the same thing you're starting completely from scratch you know you're building this new thing you have this thesis that no one has executed before. Um, uh, no one really knows, there are all sorts of questions. What was your prior success because of your prior team, the prior brand, the resources you had there, what was it? It's really, and so, you know, fundraising definitely for me and Lisa has been difficult. Um, that said, what we decided to do was to think outside the box and this is where my stubbornness, my stubborn. My stubbornness and hardheadedness uh, 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 is a benefit. Um, you know, against the advice of a lot of people, we decided to start with a rolling fund on AngelList. It's a relatively new uh, uh, investment type of investment vehicle. Uh, it allows accredited individual investors to make smaller, uh, smaller commitments, invests uh, more frequently. Uh, very scheduled capital calls, so there are a lot of benefits from that sense. And for folks like us, it, allo- it allowed us to get going with very little, with very little uh, capital required to start. And so, I think when we made, I think when we made our first two investments, we probably had something like 200k of committed ca- capital, and we, we got go- we got going. If we had decided to do it the traditional way, that would not have been possible. Um, uh, uh, So now we've made, like like I said, we've made 17, we've invested in 17 unique startups and now we're starting to go back to talk to institutions again. One would think at this point it would be easy, it still isn't for a number of reasons. One, they're like, well, you don't. this performance doesn't really mean much if you even have performance after a year. Um, And then of course there are all the other. There are all the other things. There are all the other things.
0: Are there a few of your portfolio companies so far? It's been a year. It's not enough time to talk about results and impact just yet. But that look really promising that we should be looking out for. In terms, of, our, in terms our, of, our, <laughs> of, entire, of course our you're going to say that. <laughs> no,
1: no I, I really kid you not. Our entire portfolio is amazing. I wake up every morning, and as difficult as it is to to build the fund, I think about our portfolio, and I've, I'm giddy with excitement. I I, I really am. Uh, uh, the companies that are already in the portfolio, those that are in the pipeline, I, I really feel giddy with excitement. Um, um, you know, there's one that might close around today. I I sent I I sent the founders a note a couple of weeks ago. When the gloom and doom was at its peak, and I said, you know, have have faith. What you're doing, what you're doing is important, right? This isn't this isn't pictures of cats. Like every single company is doing something that's mission critical for whoever its customers. Go to our website. <laughs> they're, all on our, they're all on our website. Take your pick. <laughs> they're all amazing. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm glad that you're giddy and filled with glee about the choices that you've made in terms of the companies that you're backing that are in your portfolio. Before we wrap up, Brian, I would like to find out what are three books or reading materials that you would recommend to help entrepreneurs better understand the funding ecosystem so that they can and hopefully improve their fundraising outcomes or just be inspired?
1: So number one, is The Secrets of Sand Hill Road. I don't remember the names of the authors. Uh, the Secrets of Sandhill Road. The Secrets of Sand Hill Road is a broad overview of what venture capital is about. Then, after Secrets of Sandhill Road, read Power Law. Power Law is a relatively new book, uh, and that talks about a feature of early stage venture investing, which is called the Power Law. Um, I, I, it's a really good book. After reading the power law, read uh, Venture Deals, and Venture Deals gets into the nitty-gritty of uh, negotiating uh, uh, a funding round. And then after those three, read Super Founders. Super Founders is by a VC at Data, uh, Data Collective Venture Capital. And basically he's written stories of founders that don't fit the mold, whose fundraising experience was different, right? It wasn't straightforward. And I think that helps give founders who might have uh, a a unique fundraising journey to put things in context. Um, I think also reading the article you talked about, the family office article uh, uh, that you talked about before, I think that's helpful. Um, And then Something that not enough uh, founders do, I think, is study a little bit of behavioral psychology because, you know, getting someone to believe in something that is completely unproven, highly uncertain, and very risky is difficult. And so I think understanding how behavioral psychology might play into decision making is helpful. And then the last thing is. Yes. Yes, yes, Catherine's book. Actually, start with Catherine's book. Actually, start with Catherine's book. Start with Catherine's book because the, the Tell G- us the title. Tell us the, the title, uh,
0: right. Uh, 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 uh,
1: build a Damn Thing. Build a Damn Thing. This is a new addition to my... This, this is not yet in my long-term memory I have to work on. Start with Catherine, finish... So, so, so Build a Damn Thing Before Secrets of Sand Hill Road. And the reason to start with build the damn thing is because she's distilled all, she's distilled out all the complexity, right? She's removed all the complexity and presented things in a very unvarnished way. And so once founders have understood that, then these where you know, things are more complex and, and, and require more more attention. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Brian it's it's been fun And you can always come back to the WTF podcast Whenever you like Thanks for stopping by And to my listeners I hope you enjoyed this episode If you like it, rate it, review it download it share it and make sure you join me next friday for a new episode on the alive podcast network and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform such as i mean apple Podcasts, apple podcast <laughs> <laughs> Podcasts, google google podcast spotify and more to be a guest or sponsor the podcast send an email to worththefunding the funding at gmail.com follow the podcast on instagram at Where's the funding underscore podcast and follow me, your host, Michelle J. McKenzie on LinkedIn. Join me next Friday for another episode.